welcome to Frank and Sense. I am your host, Frank Severich, and I am so thrilled uh, that you are joining us today. And we have an amazing show for you today because once again, I am joined by two of my dearest friends to talk through the year in the movies, the year in cinema, Kristen Cinema. Uh, no, uh, the year in film uh, with two of my very best f- friends in the whole wide world. And we are going to be talking about the best picture nominees. This year, we are splitting it up into two episodes. So we'll be talking about half of them this week and about half of them next week. And without any further ado, I think we should just get right into it. Uh, let's welcome all the way out from the Sedona Film Festival... Mitch Lerner. Hello, Mitch. How are you? Hello. I am great, Frank. Great, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. I am here in Kristen Cinema's home state. <laughs> Very uh, excited to be here. Was more excited until you reminded me what their senatorial situation was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is fantastic. It's beautiful out here. Uh, I'm going to see a bunch of movies and... Uh, climb some red rocks or at least walk around them you're not allowed to climb them uh but uh it is a good time to be out here for the fest having a blast that's awesome dude um sedona's in arizona sedona is in arizona that's correct sedona is in which part of arizona is it like how far is it from the desert LA? part the desert part <laughs> it- it is Sedona is about an hour or like an hour plus north of Phoenix. Mm. Where Bradley so Beal lives. That's exactly right, according to you just now. <laughs> the um yeah, it is uh sort of in between Phoenix and Flagstaff. Uh, uh and it is uh really beautiful and it's sort of this little like it's in the high desert but you go down you just sort of descend into uh sedona and this beautiful drive and the rocks just turn like bright red it's really hard cool. to uh describe and a lot of people see this as sort of a uh, a wellness place there's some uh, uh spiritual vortexes uh, when it comes to huh. uh, the hikes and the rocks around and a lot of people who are into like stones, gems, that sort of thing come here for uh, healing and all of that. And uh, it is nice. And I'm here for the movies, baby. <laughs> and for Kristen Cinema, of course. Mo- Mostly. Mostly for Kristen Cinema. Well, let's get into another spiritual vortex here. Let's welcome our next co-host, Matthew Sparacino. Hello, Matthew. How are you? Hello, Frank. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for referring to Washington, D.C. as a spiritual vortex. <laughs> that feels appropriate, uh, especially as we as we get into 2024. Yes. I'm doing well. I God, I wish I could say I was I was reporting from a film festival. Um, I might spend some time at the cinema later today, too, but just at the old landmark E Street Cinema downtown. Uh, an all-time, I mean, that's like on my uh, theater, Mount Rushmore, movie theater, Mount Rushmore, E Street's definitely on that of yeah, like I, favorite theaters. It's it's up there for me. I got to say, I, I can't 
remember the last time I've been there. I don't know if they've renovated it, but I went last week. I saw Zone of Interest there, um, which we'll see uh, when that comes up in our best picture discussion. But it, it was the first time I'd been there in years, and it was great. The theater was was beautiful. The lobby was nice. Uh, so yeah, I might be I might be headed back there a little bit later today. Well, uh, say hello to them for me. Uh, oh yeah, do they? Yeah. Are you a are you a, a friend of theirs over there? I'm on their the name, mailing list. The I'm name on their Frank mailing Severich list. Rings yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> the landmark East Street Cinema. Yeah, absolutely. It might open some doors for you, okay. or they might just stare vacantly and be like, "Who the fuck is that?" We'll see. Um, I'll let I you know. I've never been there, but if you could do me a favor and just record the experience with your phone, uh, going in, going through the ticket taker, getting your popcorn, and then just the whole movie, the film. whatever you're watching, <laughs> if you could just record it with Absolutely. your phone. That would be great. That would be actually be really to. great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, well, let's get into it. Uh, first, I want to say thank you so much to everybody who joined us last week on the show. Uh, yeah, great, great uh, response from folks. It was it was it was really cool to hear from people. It was so great to hear from people, and um, we we welcome any feedback you have, uh, and you know, follow us on social media or whatever. We don't have to do those plugs because we have so much to get to today. While we're on the note from last episode, I want to say thank you to everybody who listened to last week. But also, let's see if there's any old business, any leftover thoughts from part one. Uh, that mm. we didn't get to address. Uh, one thing that came up for me is, Matt, since uh, talking about it, I have been listening to the Spider-Verse score over and over again. That score rips. It's so good. Um, so it's, it's I'm, I'm really glad outrageous. we talked about it because now I'm I'm just like obsessed with it. So thank you. For I know, that. I'm, I'm with you, buddy. That's where I was about a month ago. I mean, I'm, st- I'm still listening to it. Like it's... Yeah, that is we talked about this last time, but just trying to trying to be careful when we talk about snubs cuz you know, there's there's so many great performances and um you know, acts of of film this year that should be rewarded, but that is one where it really it hurts that that is not nominated for score cuz that it absolutely rips. It's awesome. It's really really good. Um, did you all, uh, did either of you have any other, uh, leftover thoughts from part one or anything that you've been wanted to follow up on, uh, since the episode came out? I had I think one it was really, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Mitch. Go ahead. Okay. I will. I'm going to go ahead. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to talk. I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. I'm no, hold on. It. Let me, uh, let me go ahead. <laughs> okay. Actually, I'm going to go. Uh, if you could just shut the fuck up, please. Yeah, no, go, please. You go. <laughs> I don't remember. When I was- <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I think it's really cool that uh, we were trying to figure out how to structure that episode, a little behind the curtain stuff. And at some point we talked about doing an animated category uh, episode. And at some point we talked about doing a honorable mentions uh, episode for snubs for best picture. And we sort of dropped that conversation and just organically came up with a list of movies we wanted to talk about. And it's so funny to me that it sort of managed to do both of those things because there were so many great animated Mm. films this year. So I think it's very cool that we uh, got to spend a lot of time in the animated category and 
at the same time accomplish what we wanted to when it came to uh, discussing, um, uh, you know, movies that had were left out of a larger picture. Uh, and additionally, I'll just throw in that uh, the more I think about The Killer, which I watched like right before filming that, the more I like that movie. It's a good movie. I really liked that movie too. Um, and there are some, I think I said this on the previous episode, but there are some sequences in that movie that are like kind of unforgettable and like peak filmmaking. Uh, I don't want to, I, I guess I don't want to give away too much. Um, but so, uh, you know, uh, those of you who haven't seen The Killer, you're not going to get spoiled. But there's there's some pretty incredible sequences in that movie. Ollie yeah, that did one not is not animated. Yeah, no, it's not. Uh, my dog really did not like a few moments of that movie because there's an extended sequence with a dog. But otherwise, I, I had a lot of fun with that one. Uh, Matt, what about you? Any leftover thoughts from uh, from part one? I do have have one kind of hanging thread, but I wanted to say on the killer because that was uh, you guys are right. We didn't we we mentioned it, but we didn't get very far into it last week. The five movies we really focused on, which were um, the three animated films, were Across the Spider Verse, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, and The Boy and the Heron, and then the other two films were May December and Asteroid City, and they kind of we we sort of arrived at those five collectively um just sort of landed on those movies as like these are the five that the three of us all really love that aren't in the best picture conversation on the killer i was the one kind of i I didn't totally get into that movie and i watched it a long time ago i watched it a couple of months ago i don't know maybe i wasn't in the right mood but it didn't the like humor of it didn't land with me it came across very uh like humorless and i think maybe i just was not in the the right kind of headspace to take it in that day so i should check it out again i think you should because i actually found that movie very funny because he's such a um now we're just getting into the killer but he's such a like robotic perfectionist or whatever but the irony like of hearing his internal monologue versus what's happening in the world. Like he is obviously yeah. very good at his job of being an assassin, but he also fucks up constantly. He's kind of not. <laughs> and, yeah. And I, I, I really appreciated that. Like, um, uh, what do you call it? Discrepancy, the juxtaposition of those two things. Uh, I found it very funny. Um, and, and like kind of thrilling in, in certain moments as well. So, um, uh, but yeah, you said you had another, uh, another thought too, right, Matt? Just that uh, on the animated feature conversation, just to to kind of, I don't know, uh, close that one off, because sadly, no animated films are in Best Picture this year. No animated film has been nominated in 30 years since Beauty and the Beast. And I think that may be the wow. only one ever, um, but certainly nothing since then. Um, hey, everybody, this is Frank from the future with a quick correction on behalf of Matt Sparacino, who fact-checked this after the episode and found that there have been two other Best Picture nominees that were nominated, that were also animated, and they were Up and Toy Story 3. So there you go. Back to the episode. Yeah, I I think I, I made a comment last week about uh, movies being created by AI 
Uh, and I never got to fully shout out Elemental, the Pixar movie <laughs> that I did watch that was nominated for <laughs> Best Animated Feature um, over Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And it, it was okay, but it was like a very, very AI-generated, simple, kind of like themes that were very... Um, I don't know. The whole movie is sort of this allegory for racism and it just really does not work or land very well. So yeah. Did either of you guys see that movie? I'm I guessing haven't, no. but I loved um, the screenshot you sent us of the fire person holding up yes. a t-shirt that said, kiss me. I'm fireish. <laughs> kiss me. I'm fireish. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like the kind of movie that it was. Um, so shout out to that. Um, yeah, I just realized when I when I listened back to last week, that was something that that got mentioned that I never got to get to because we were pressed for time. So, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that I think so far in our conversation, snub of the year maybe in any category. We're going to talk about some other ones today, but uh, yeah, we love that movie. Thank you for watching Elemental. <laughs> yeah, thank you for <laughs> really, taking that really bullet. Appreciate it. You also took I, another <laughs> bullet for the team by watching Nyad. Um, did, and I really want to say thank you. Because I have no interest in watching that movie, so thank you for for doing is, that. Yeah, Frank, as a as a professed uh, biopic averse yes. watcher, yes. Frank Severich, and we've got some some biopics in best. We're going to talk. We'll get to yes, yes. But Nyad is is definitely a much more like kind of conventional, true to form. Hits all those biopic beats that you, Frank, don't really like very much. Um, I. As we talk about some of these snubs, I really don't want to like hate on these movies or shit on these performances or or anything like that. Like, um, Jodie Foster was really good in the movie. Annette Bening gives like a really physical performance. It's about a a woman who's in her sixties, who's a swimmer, who decides to revive her child or not childhood dream. Yeah, pretty much like a childhood dream of swimming from Cuba to Florida to the Keys, which is like a hundred miles. Uh, and the movie, I could do that. I just don't want to. Sure. Yeah. 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 I just don't want to. Absolutely. Well, well, I mean, you can't even watch the movie, Frank. So I don't know. I don't know if I really believe that. (laughs) Frank, would you rather swim 100 miles or watch Nyad? Oof. Uh, swim 100 miles easily. Nyad had some moments, but it, and so Annette Benning is the reason I watched the movie. Annette Benning is nominated in Best Actress and Foster in Supporting Actress, but Best Actress lead in particular is I think that's the strongest acting category this year. It's loaded. We talked a little bit about Margot Robbie last week and whether or not that might be a snub. I personally feel that it is. I don't know about you guys. Um, Greta Lee, another lead performance mm, that we mm-hmm. all loved. Mm -hmm. that we're going to talk about eventually Natalie Portman, a lead performance we talked about Mm -hmm. last week with May, December. So Benning was, was solid, but the movie was just not nearly as good as these other movies. And the performance was not as good. Would you say that Nyad was bad by, by, bad? Would you say that Nyad was bad? Biad? Biad? Yeah. Biad? Is it Biad or is it Biad? <laughs> uh, it depends what part of the South or Midwest you're from. I think it's Biad. <laughs> <laughs> was it Biad? Watching the movie, I was 
kind of cynical. I was like, oh, this movie is not good. But by the end, I got to admit, it made me tear up. It fucking got me at the end. I was so mad at it, actually, because it was like classic manipulative, <laughs> um, you know, documentary or not documentary, but uh, biopic type stuff. So biopic, uh, yeah. I got to give it a little bit of a little bit of credit. Well, let's, uh, having given credit to Nyad, let's go ahead and uh, get into the uh, Best Picture nominees here. And, and of course, before we do so, as we did last week, we have to kind of get ready, put our minds in the right place to talk about movies. So, um, so here we go. We come to this place for magic. We come to AMC theaters to laugh, to cry, to care because we need that all of us that indescribable feeling we get when the lights begin to dim and we go somewhere we've never been before not just entertained but somehow reborn together dazzling images on a huge silver screen sound that I can feel somehow Heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Our heroes Boom. feel like the best part of us. <laughs> and stories feel perfect and powerful. Because here, they are. Yeah. <laughs> AMC theaters. We make movies better. Let's fucking go. All right. Are wow. you guys hyped Give now? us a free month of A-list AMC. <laughs> we just did your job. Um... I think I like the roller coaster better, personally. Uh, we can do the roller coaster again next week. The The movies that they show in that clip are so funny to me. Jurassic me World, uh -huh. Wonder Woman, Creed. La La Land, and Creed. I mean, certainly Very of, strange. A, of a yeah. moment, right? It's yeah. like mid-teens. Mid mid-teens, yeah. They cover you know, a lot of so different genres. Yeah. Easy for them to just put in new movies there. Yeah, yeah. like every you know? year, just throw in the new Transformers movie or whatever. And <laughs> Yep, that, yeah. that's, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. <laughs> <laughs> Autocon. <Yeah. laughs> well, let's, um, let's go ahead and talk about the Best Picture noms. Sadly, uh, Transformers Age of Extinction was not, or Beast Wars or whatever this one was called, it was not on the Best Picture list this year. But we did have uh, 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 10 nominees. Uh, they are in no particular order. Past Lives, Bart. Well, I could try to do alphabetical. Let me try to do that. Okay, let me try that again. Here they are in alphabetical order. American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Past Lives, Poor Things, and Oppenheimer. And the zone of interest. Those are the ten. Did I miss any? I was doing uh, that on the fucked fly. it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, o becomes before P. Ah, shit! Fuck! Um, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta go back to kindergarten. Um, I didn't hear you... any of those movie titles. I was just thinking about alphabetical order. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, well, uh, let's do overall thoughts on Best Picture nominees real quick before we get in. And then we should talk about sort of the format that we're using for today. So just just quickly, let's do a little go around here. Mitch, why don't you go first? Just overall thoughts on Best Picture nominees this year. Ten movies. Ten movies that came out in 2023. Yes. That were in cinemas this that year wow uh, wow well that's, said that's it that is no really mostly, well said. i mean zone of interest came out like a like a month ago didn't it <laughs> that's always the thing with these like when did they come out what's the what's the technicality and you they know, do festival was it in releases one theater for four people in 2023 and right. then everyone sees yeah. it in 2024 right but the movies were great they were uh, all like very good. They all have different things that I love about them. Very different movies uh, and some similarities throughout all of them. I think there were some themes that we're going to hit on and some uh, stuff like that. But it was it was great. Great year for movies. Yeah, totally agree. Matt, uh, any any thoughts on the best picture crop before we get into the into the hike up the mountain here? No, just the the same that it's a, a great crop, great crop of movies. Um, one or two that I'm like that I think are like good, but I'm not in love with, and then eight or so that I think are just excellent movies. So uh, I'm really excited. I I think it's the best. Um, I don't know, like just the depth. Like there's so many different kinds of movies. There's comedies. There's biopics. There's you know, drama, obviously, there's historical drama, romance, there's just a lot of um, really, really great movies. So yeah, I'm I'm down to just get into it. What do you think, though, Frank? Did you have anything? You know, from the Holocaust to um, Native American um, genocide, it really covers it all this year. Um, and that I... actually, le- legitimately, that is one thing I'm, I'm Glad you said that. These movies, and this was true of of last week's movies as well, particularly like The Boy and the Heron. These movies, several of them take place during World War II and the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. Themes of genocide, white supremacy, racism, um, suicide is a, a big kind of theme in one of these movies. Like, just as a heads up to the listeners, in addition to spoiling movies, which we are going to talk about these movies in depth, um, I will try to to point them out ahead of time. You guys maybe can too, but there's a lot of like, and I think it reflects kind of the seriousness of just what the fuck is happening in the world. You all had your, um, you know, semi-annual January 6th episode on the old Let's Be Frank pod uh, mm-hmm. earlier this year. Um there's a lot on people's minds. So uh, just a really interesting bunch of films to kind of interpret 2023 through. A hundred percent. So what we have done, if this is your first time joining us or as a refresher for anybody who's listened before, uh, we came up with this format two years ago uh, to uh, talk about the movies. We call it Mitch's Movie Mountain. And uh, we climb up the mountain one by one talking about each of these movies. So Mitch has ranked each movie from 10 to 1. And we will go and discuss these movies in that order, starting from 10, working all our all the way up to 
one. And, you know, we also want to acknowledge that there are inherent flaws in ranking art. Everybody has different tastes. And Mitch, I know, uh, well, uh, I want to talk to you here in a second about it, but it's been very difficult uh, to rank the films this year. So, you know, these things might shift over time. And that's okay. This is just how we're approaching this conversation today. Um, But Mitch, I want to talk to you uh, before we start hiking up the mountain uh, real quick. Uh, I just want to hear from you. What's your process? process for the movie mountain here how do you how do you rank thing, things usually how was this year different i write down all the movie titles mm-hmm. and then i rip up little pieces of paper with their names on them and i find a hat <laughs> uh-huh. and i uh take out one name at a time mm-hmm. and and that's it uh it's very scientific uh no it's it's a hard thing to do it's become harder this year this is my burden you know a lot of these movies yes. have very serious themes yes. in my biopic this will be most of it for the for, big conflict for strong. j robert oppenheimer it's developing the atom bomb for mitch it's you know there's mitch all these equations and stuff swirling yeah. around his head and he has to yeah. do, run this mental algorithm to produce this list the energy of fission is what gets me there uh and without it we'd be ruined uh no it's it's really about how i felt going through them what did what did i respond to in a way where i'll probably want to watch the movie again and uh how did it hit me in that moment it's completely subjective this has been the hardest year out of all of them um so far just because i feel like so many of the movies were very good and very different so the idea of ranking them seems so silly to me because it's like do i want to watch the very very good pop blockbuster that is ip about a toy or do i want to watch the very very intricate semi in english murder mystery procedural film and how do i rank those in comparison (laughs) to each other it's 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 increasingly absurd Um, and doing it from a film festival right now where things are awarded is, is just like a really nice uh encapsulation of how silly uh ranking art is but i like the idea of tears i like the idea of recognizing good art uh and this is how we're doing it right now uh and if you completely disagree with these rankings you two and also like the listeners like please let us know because i would like to have that conversation and i want to hear what what you think and what other people Think and if you feel strongly about why I'm off my fucking rocker, then I want to hear that too because I'll probably agree with you by the end of the conversation. And you can uh, communicate with Mitch on Instagram at MP Sparacino. That is, that's how you get in touch with Mitch at MP Sparacino. That's not even my that's Instagram right. handle, Frank. It's not? <laughs> no, it's at maddie.chino. Oh, maddie.chino. Yes, yeah, sorry. to that point, sorry. if people yeah. want to give Mitch feedback, how can they get in touch with with this podcast? Well, you go to uh, at 
Frankincense Media, of course, on Instagram or Frankincense on Blue Sky, of course. Okay. The app that everybody's using, Blue Sky. Blue Sky? Yeah, everybody's using it. Anyway, enough about Blue Sky. Um, let's, uh, let's, get sh- shall we start climbing the mountain here? Let's climb, baby. Let's fucking climb. Um, as we did last week, I will play a song from each movie once Mitch, once Mitch gives us the title, but we don't know what movie's going to come first or what movie's coming next. So, Mitch, I, I turn to you, my friend. Uh, uh, what's up first on Mitch's Movie Mountain? I'm excited. I'm nervous. I know. I'm nervous, Frank too. And I, Frank and I do not know the order. And we're we're gonna get through, I think, six of them on this episode, mm-hmm. saving the top four for next week. So yeah, I I do not know what is coming, and I'm very excited to hear Mitch. Okay, here we go. Uh, whatever comes lower than base camp at the the bottom of the mountain, you know, get your get your bootsies on. Here we go. Number ten. Maestro. Wow. Okay. All right. So this was the hardest music cue for me to find because even though it is a movie about music, it's a lot of very like operatic big music. So I'm going to play a little bit of Symphony Number 2 in C minor by Mahler from sort of the climax of this movie. Maestro. Uh, Maestro is a uh, biographical romantic drama, I guess, uh, about the life of Leonard Bernstein and his wife, Felicia Montalegre. It is directed by Bradley Cooper uh, off of a screenplay that he wrote along with Josh Singer. It also stars Cooper as Bernstein, uh, along with Carey Mulligan as Felicia. Uh, the movie has like a long production history. Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese are both producers on this film and it's, it's just been in the works for a long time. Uh, Spielberg and Scorsese. That was a dumb joke. Please keep going. Oh, Jesus, Frank, you just can't help it. Oh, I like your mug, buddy. It's a, it's a Dollywood, uh, mug. My neighbors got this for me when they went to Dollywood because I watered their plants. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Shout out to Willie and Bernie. Yeah. Um, This film, yeah, follows the life of Leonard Bernstein, uh, specifically focusing on his relationship with his wife, Felicia. Um, It's on Netflix. If anyone wants to watch it, it is two hours and nine minutes. Uh, And this movie's nominated for a lot of Oscars, actually. Seven Oscars, including Best Picture, uh, Cooper and Mulligan are also nominated for actor and actress. It's nominated for original screenplay, cinematography, makeup and hair, and sound. 
Um, so just like we did last week, we're going to have a champion sort of to uh, represent each movie. For this movie, I am the champion of this movie, so I will start. Uh, and uh, and then we can hear from Mitch uh, about his uh, his thoughts on this um, and, and take it from there. So Maestro. Maestro is a movie that I was, I, going back to our conversation earlier about theaters, I was very, very lucky to uh, be able to see this in theaters. It happened to be playing at the local art house in town for a week, and I got to see it in theaters, and it was beautiful. I mean, the sound is huge, as you could tell from that clip, uh, from the climax of the movie. Um, the the picture, the cinematography of it is is really uh, beautifully told. There's a lot of really interesting framing of scenes from very long distances and um, scenes, you know, there's a Thanksgiving mm-hmm. Day parade scene where you get to see the, the balloons passing by. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very beautiful movie. Um, I have a couple thoughts on this movie in particular, and uh, and I will uh, then pass things back to Mitch. A theme from this year that we've already talked about is biopics. And I have a note in my notes that just says biopics are good now. And what I mean by that is I think uh, in general, we've sort of struggled with how to tell uh, the stories of real life people uh, in Hollywood for a long time. My dad uh, did a, a a script one time about Jack Kerouac and he was given mm. a pre-existing script and it literally began with Jack Kerouac was born on June 2nd, 1922 or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> oh God, like that's uh and I think what this movie does really successfully, and I would also call out Napoleon um, weirdly as a sort of spiritual, uh, a similar movie spiritually, is mm. it focuses on the relationship between the subject matter and and their their personal relationship with their their partner in life. So uh, in this case, like Matt was saying, uh, this is about Leonard Bernstein's relationship with his wife. Um, and I think this is a movie about passion. I think this this movie was obviously a passion project for Bradley Cooper. It's about the He fi- has made that very clear. Yes, yes, he has, which we can we can talk about uh, in a second here. It's about the the passion of a conductor, the passion of music itself. And Leonard Bernstein was such a passionate guy, you know, uh, whether it's West Side Story, you know, he lived life uh, very uh, big and with a lot of love. Um, and that's definitely represented in this movie as well. He's he's a man who was either gay or bisexual, um, but was married for the majority of his life to to a woman. Um, he's a populist. He's a classicist, uh, and I think that in that movie plays with that tension of private life of a writer and a composer versus the public life of a conductor yeah. and the very performative nature of living your it. life publicly versus that tension of needing to be a very internal person, mm-hmm. uh, which I found uh, very interesting. Um, and I, the, the Bradley Cooper and Carrie Mulligan are both very good in this movie. I don't love the script for this movie, so I was surprised it was nominated for that. Um, mm-hmm. But this movie does have a lot of great needle drops. There's a there's a scene in the 80s where he pulls up to his house and it, uh, Ari, or I guess it was the 90s. Uh, REM's End of the World is playing, and it's a and it's the Leonard Bernstein. So it's very like self aware. Uh, in in a way that I I liked, and uh, you'll never listen to the song "Shout" um, 
that shout, shout, <laughs> let it all out. You'll never hear that song the same after this movie. Um, last thing to shout out here is that to shout out here is the um, the makeup, which is really incredible and, and yes. probably a front runner for winning uh, the makeup award. So I will pause there. That is my my championing of Maestro. Mitch, we turn to you. Your thoughts on Maestro, sir. Carrie Mulligan is incredible. Yeah. Uh, she is so, so good and uh, heartbreaking in this movie. And uh, just as a reminder, we are doing spoilers for these movies. Uh, so uh, we're going to go into that in three, two, one. The stuff that she does with cancer at the end is an amazing performance. It's a very subtle way of going about it. Uh, in a way that I'm not sure I've seen on camera. Uh, and then also her little her little heartbreaks throughout the film mm-hmm. of just yeah. thinking that she's going to get more from this guy and understanding that she came to this agreement uh, and not getting it and slowly realizing that that's not okay is brutal. Yeah. And she is... So communicative of that, her eyes, everything feels real with her. It's just uh, an amazing performance. Uh, And Bradley Cooper's great, too. Bradley Cooper is very good. He's doing the thing. He is Lenny. He's got the voice. The makeup's amazing. He clearly cares a whole lot Mm -hmm. about making this movie as the director of the movie. Uh, I believe he has a screenplay mm-hmm. credit yeah. on this. Mm-hmm. He is the, he's the champion of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is apparent in the artistry of it. The cinematography is amazing. All of the technical elements are, are great. The, even the, that very first scene where he starts off in his, uh, like bedroom smoking a cigarette and he runs out and he ends up in Carnegie Hall. So cool. And the way that the camera moves through that Mm -hmm. is uh, tremendous. And it made me wish that I had seen it in theaters, the way that it opens up on Carnegie Hall. Uh, As far as why this movie is uh, ranked 10th for me, and I think is in kind of a tier of its own as far as best picture nominations go is i i don't know how much i learned about leonard birdstein after about halfway through this movie it was sort of like he's still doing it he's still doing all of it and it's a story told fully and i understand that i think i i never fully bought in to it there's one amazing scene uh where they're having the argument on thanksgiving day uh in a beautiful drawing room with the parade going by snoopy going by yeah Yeah, Yeah. snoopy's going by yeah Yeah, it's incredible yeah it is a long take it's like theater it's you know you get an entire argument in one take and it's it's tremendous um and I just sort of watching the movie felt a little bit like an assignment. Mm. And this is the only one where that was the case to me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Totally fair. I think I think that just real quick, Matt, um, one thing 
that about the biopic trap that a lot of movies fall into that this one doesn't is like, and then he wrote West Side Story. You know, it's not like that style of movie, but I do think it can. Yeah, but I do think that it contributes to the problem that you're saying, Mitch, which is like, I don't know that we learn that much about Lenny by the end of this movie. But um, Matt, uh, I by the way, I listened to an episode of a podcast with Bradley Cooper on it, and he exclusively refers to Bernstein as Lenny the whole time, which is very funny. Um, Matt, go right ahead. Yeah, I... I I am kind of on t- of two minds on this movie. Uh, I I have it ninth in my ranking, so there's one film that I I would um, kind of have just a little bit below it. I'm curious to see how long it takes for that one to come up. But I I mostly agree with you, Mitch. I I'm not someone who is super familiar with Bernstein and and his work. Kind of just like vaguely as a kid, but I wasn't directly exposed to a lot of it. And I don't feel like I was really given a reason. I didn't learn a lot about him, and I wasn't really given a reason to care about him other than that he's a, a genius mm. um so i think script is where the movie falters but i don't think it's a coincidence that frank is the one who saw it in theaters and frank is the one who is the highest on this movie because the movie is stunning visually yeah and it there's there's three different kind of eras of the movie um there's the like i think 50s when it's young lenny and it's black and white and it's it's not widescreen it's in that like kind of more square like aspect ratio of old movies and the performances are fantastic like has already been said i think cooper and mulligan are both super deserving of those nominations they play those people across time uh the movie eventually shifts to i think like the late 60s or early 70s when they're maybe more in their 50s the makeup is amazing uh, i think makeup and hair is the the one oscar i might pick this movie for especially in that mauler scene when when cooper is just like sweating bullets oh, and unbelievable his hair is all over the place and his i i liked mulligan's performance a little bit more it feels just a, a not quite as showy um his not to not to like be clever or anything but his performance feels kind of sweaty like he's mm, mm. um he's acting a lot but he's doing a great fucking job he his voice like if you want a, a lesson on like you know technical voice performance stuff listening to his voice kind of go from like in his upper register as a young man into his like deep chest as a as an older man always kind of in the in the nasal part of his face like it's it's just a really really committed performance so not my favorite of the year but a really really great performance the the other thing i would i would say about this movie is uh a star is born which is Mm. cooper's first movie that he directed uh, this is his second, and by the way, both times he has directed himself to a Best Actor nomination, which I, I think has happened maybe half a dozen times before in history. It's very, mm. very rare. Um, and I love that movie. I, I like it more than this movie. I think it has a lot more heart. the The romance is more. Um, I don't know. It's it's not like visually stunning the way this one is, but it's it's another love story about a an egotistical musician. So I don't know, maybe that's, that's telling us something about him, but I, I think that movie, um, just has, has more heart and a more human aspect to it. Have either of you guys seen that movie? No, it's, it's on the top of my, like want to watch list, but I have not. It's great. 
it's great. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see what what Cooper does next because he he did not get nominated for best director, notably for this film. And as as good as it looks, I think that's the right call just because of how good this year was. Um, but I think he's a, a great filmmaker, so I'm I'm glad he's making movies, and he's a great actor. He's great in both of of those movies. So, um, yeah, pretty impressive movie to have at number ten. I totally agree that I think he's a good filmmaker, and I think I hope people uh, continue to take him seriously and stuff. Mitch, you have the closing thought here, and then we will move to number nine on the mountain. Yeah the the only the only other thing is that. Something that you touched on, I didn't know a lot or frankly care a lot about uh, Leonard Bernstein before watching this movie, not because I dislike him. I just didn't know that much, sort of a cultural blind spot for me. And I wish that in watching it, I could have figured out why he was such a compelling guy, like why should I go back and and listen to his music other than the fact that he was a genius mm-hmm. and uh, didn't didn't fully like there are some bio uh, biopics that I've listened to or that I've watched rather where I've gone back and listened to the uh, music of the person that I didn't really know a lot of before or I read a book by them that I wasn't aware of before. And this one, I didn't even realize this until now, until we're talking about it. It never occurred to me to go back and revisit Mm. any of his music after watching this Mm. uh, movie. You learned how to code after watching the imitation game, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I did. Yeah. That's how far you'll take it sometimes. Uh, I, I, I will. (laughs) Well, uh, speaking of uh, taking it far, we are going to go far from 10. We're going to go all the way up to nine. Mitch, what is next on your movie Mountain? This is where it gets weird. Got it. Okay. Number number nine, Barbie. Wow. You know, I get, I totally get it. And here is Dance the Night by Dua Lipa from Barbie. Snubbed. Matt, what's what's Barbie about? Frank, what isn't Barbie about? Uh, <laughs> if you're if you're somehow not familiar, Barbie, ever fucking heard of it, is the 2023 smash hit that came out last summer. Um, directed by Greta Gerwig from a script that she wrote along with Noah Baumbach. Uh, it's based on the, you know, very, very famous doll from Mattel. Um first live action film on that subject. And it's a really interesting satirical comedy. It follows uh, Margot Robbie as Barbie, specifically a stereotypical Barbie who lives in Barbie land uh, and kind of her sort of like a hero's journey. She um, kind of has this uh, toy existence that she starts to question. She ends up traveling to the real world along with Ken, who's played by Ryan Gosling um, and she just learns a whole lot about 
women, about feminism, about the patriarchy, and about uh, how her kind of utopian existence in Barbie land and how good things are for women there is not exactly the case in the world where people are playing with their dolls. Um, this movie, if anyone uh, hasn't seen it somehow, or if you just want to watch it again, it is on Max. I think it might be streaming a couple other places. Um, all of these movies really are available to rent at this point on like YouTube and uh, Amazon, but I'm trying to shout out places where you can stream them for free. This is definitely on Max. It is just under two hours. It's an hour and 54 minutes, and it's nominated for eight Oscars. Uh, along with Best Picture, Gerwig and Bombach have a nomination for Adapted Screenplay, Adapted Screenplay, uh, two acting nominations, America Ferreira in Supporting Actress and Ryan Gosling in Supporting Actor. It's also nominated for Costume Design, Production Design, and Best Song twice, two nominations in Best Song. Not the song we just heard, notably. It's actually nominated for the Billie Eilish song. Um, and also I'm just Ken, uh, uh, a hilarious and wonderful song. Uh, great recap there, Matt. And I'm actually going to toss it back to you, my friend, because for Ooh. each movie, there is a champion. And for Barbie, Matt Sparacino is that champion. Matt, take the floor. What do you love about Barbie? Send it right back to me, buddy. I have seen this movie twice now. I saw it in theaters over the summer. Uh, I think not opening weekend, but second weekend with my wife, Kira, packed theater. The movie is one of the best comedies of the year. There's a, another movie that we will talk about eventually that I think maybe could challenge it for that title, but it's it's hilarious. It, um, it makes men the butt of the joke. We... Uh, specifically, the three of us as white men are the butt of the joke in this movie. We're the butt of the joke in in that comedy that I just sort of alluded to. So it's going to be something we talk about throughout the episode. Uh, Ryan Gosling as Ken is just an oblivious idiot. Margot Robbie as Barbie is fantastic in this movie. She she makes this movie about a fantasy land. And all these crazy themes with crazy performances and colorful design, she grounds everything emotionally and makes this movie work when it really could have been a big IP mess. Um, the, the one place I think this movie kind of shows some strain is how it incorporates Mattel into the story. I think that's... Um, you know, the the one thing that um, in terms of like franchise storytelling, that's where you start to like grit your teeth a little bit and be like, this doesn't really serve the story. This is clearly about money and marketing and setting up a shared universe. And I, I feel myself start to butt against that. Uh, I rewatched the movie at home a couple weeks ago, and, and I, I definitely felt that watching the movie. But I, I was reminded how funny it is. And I actually just this morning again, watch the first like 30 minutes of the movie that take place in Barbie land. And it's, it's such a like fully realized world. And, you know, this movie, I talked last week about, about Spider-Verse and how it was my favorite movie of the year and how, even though it was a flawed movie, I felt taken away by it. I felt fully swept away when I saw that movie. And I know a lot of women in my life who very much feel that way about this movie. So even though 
it is a flawed film. I think it's a really magical movie that's connected with a lot of people. It was the biggest movie of the year by far, biggest at the box office in the US, biggest worldwide. Um nominated for 8 Oscars and it's it's kind of amazing that this movie worked cuz there's a lot of things I think working against it. Also, this is not an Oscars category, but best soundtrack of the year, not score, but like mm. the soundtrack, the song we just heard, yeah. Dua Lipa, Dua Lipa, the Lizzo song that opens the movie. Um it's it's just like that killer. came out like a week after uh Lizzo was canceled. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Just terrible timing. Terrible. That's terrible true. Timing. That's true. Yeah. So I don't think yeah. that cancellation is going to stick. Yeah, I think Lizzo's yeah. coming back in a big way. Yeah, we'll have to see. Um, uh, well, Mitch, uh, sorry, uh, Matt, did you finish your thoughts there? Uh, no, no. Just that I, I, I think it's. I I love that this movie also ends on a joke, which I'll I'll yeah. let uh Great you joke. know I'm sure one of you will will mention, but very funny movie and a. Comedy does not get a lot of respect at the Oscars. I think that's a big reason why Robbie is not nominated for Best Actress. Um, and again, I think her ability to do such a grounded, human, comedic performance as a as a doll is is really really impressive. And I, I hope this movie takes home, um, if not Best Picture, I could see costume design, production design. Um, I'm kind of surprised. I wonder if they'll give it script. I wonder if they'll give it script. I could definitely like, see because it's a, such a loved movie, and and Noah Baumbach and and Greta Gerwig are so respected, and they might want to, especially after the Gerwig snub, they might want to like toss some votes their way just to be like, hey, you know what? We should recognize Barbie. You know, it's in. It's just in there with like some real heavy hitters. But we'll for see. Sure. I'm 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 realizing as I look at it, I can't believe it's not nominated for hair and makeup because that when I. When I watched this morning, the the sequence, the dance sequence that takes place during the song that you played oh, to so open good. us up, it's it's just the filmmaking is so good. The way the camera yeah. moves around the dance floor, the choreography, the hair, the costume, the jokes, like the back and forth between Gosling and Simu Liu, between Robbie oh, and all so of good. the Kens. It's it's it just works on like every level. And then eventually the movie, the the strain starts to show in the middle and, and last act. But yeah. Um, Mitch, we turn to you, my friend. Uh, what say you? Why did this movie come in at number nine? What do you love about this movie? What are your, what are your thoughts on it? It's a great movie. Uh, real quick, uh, before I get into the meat of it, I'm so glad you brought up Simu Liu because uh, watching so this movie for a second time, I realized that I I completely missed how good his performance was oh the God. first time He's I watched so this funny. movie. He's incredible in this. What a star. Um, yeah, yeah. Un maybe unsung hero of the movie. I didn't shout out enough the of the supporting cast because it's just loaded with comic performances. Yeah, it's everyone is so good and so funny. I really liked this movie. It was one of my favorite in-theater experiences of the year. I'm I'm upset that I missed it opening weekend because mm. that would have been amazing to be in that energy, but I saw it early enough and it was uh, electric in the theater. I'm so happy this movie got made. Uh, Margot Robbie is incredible. Uh, Gosling is amazing. And I think that 
the reason that this came in at number nine for me is the sort of recency bias of having uh, this past week rewatched it at home alone, and it didn't really hit for me the same uh, watching it at home. And I'm thinking about it in a way of how are people going to be interacting with this movie from here on out? And people aren't going to have a chance, uh, if they haven't seen it yet, to go to a theater and watch it in this big uh, group of people. So I think that there's going to be some... um, historical amnesia about how amazing of a theater going experience this was. Uh, And that's okay. Uh, But I hope that it doesn't get lost how amazing it made people feel. That said, it didn't hit for me the same watching it at home. Um, And there's something, it's hard for me to talk about this movie too much without also talking about the next movie that I, that we want to talk about because I realize they rhyme in a really, really interesting way. Uh, so that's a little tease. But uh, the movie's great, like you said, Matt. I think the, the third act sort of gets a little kooky because all of the satire that has been laid out and all of the amazing, brilliant comments about the society that we live in have sort of all been unloaded. And then you're grappling with like, okay, how do we wrap this plot up? Because I guess that's what a movie has to do. And it uh, it really works. Uh, I'm so sorry to Kira for breaking this at number nine. Um, I know you probably, you you probably really got a lot of goodwill from her because I think Maestro's her number 10 and she's feeling very betrayed by you right now. I'm, I'm sure she is. Uh, Just let, please let her know. Uh, Keep listening. It gets better. There's going to, I, I, all of the movies from here on out are so, so good. And this is included in that. Um, but uh, I think there's an element in this movie that sort of shows towards the end. Uh, actually, um, I don't know. There's an element of this movie that shows towards the end where you it's more satire than human connection. And just with the two hour runtime, I think I was sort of done with the movie by the end. And then it picks up with that amazing joke at the end yeah. uh, where yes. she finally gets to go to a gynecologist, yeah. uh, which is perfect. Super funny. Um, yeah, this movie made $1.4 billion worldwide last year. You know what number two was? You know what number two was? I just looked, but let me try to get. I'm going to guess Mario. It was. It yeah. was Mario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not on our list this year. Um, Barbie is. Uh, I totally agree, Mitch and and Matt. So many good points. Um, you know, uh, I think this movie plays great in theater. It was definitely one of the most fun movies to watch uh, last year. I watched it with my mom, which was fun. I watched it in theaters. I watched it with my my in laws. Um, you know, it's a self aware movie about toys becoming self aware, which is really fun. Um, I think there's something slightly evil at work in um making this like meta narrative about a toy brand and and meanwhile that toy brand is creating a a ip empire that they're going to use for a film franchise Polly pocket directed by lena dunham uh coming soon uh to theaters so like 
that coming like, soon to Mitch's movie mountain. Yes, yeah, coming soon to Mitch's. Mi- hey, I, I'd be happy if Polly Pocket we'll was see. on here uh, in a couple of years. Um, yeah, I I really liked this movie. Super fun. My niece loves this movie. I think this movie is an SCC. It is a stone cold classic. Um, that said, I definitely get uh, your. Um, uh, point Mitch having watched it in theaters versus watching it at home it definitely plays different at home it's still a blast it's still so much fun um, but it definitely does uh, hit a little different at home on the smaller screen and you know with the smaller speakers and stuff so uh, great uh, great movie and um, yeah any any last thoughts here Matt uh, you are the champion of this movie and Mitch I see you have something to say so why don't we throw to Mitch and then uh, Matt you can have the last word so I think that just in talking about the Oscar race when it comes to this movie a little bit uh, there's the Greta Gerwig snub it was nominated for uh, best uh, screenplay it was not nominated Margot Robbie was not nominated as we've talked about uh, and um, America Ferrara was nominated and um, Ryan she's Gosling so yeah I mean, she's amazing Ryan Gosling was also nominated and in watching this the second time it felt to me like Greta Gerwig should have a nomination definitely and she does for both producing and writing and i think this is one of those examples where a a lot of the direction of the movie is in the script for a lot of the jokes are there a lot of you can tell with uh how the movie is shot that she was writing the script to direct it so i think her getting nominated for one of the two is right and you know to me it's sort of a coin flip as to which one i think script is probably the right one but like she deserves her flowers and is uh, getting them in producing and writing and then as far as the acting ones go i think that robbie should have been nominated because i think you could either nominate uh gosling robbie and ferrara or Greta Gerwig as director because mm. they're all kind of they're all playing the same note so perfectly. It's a good point. That they were directed so well uh so you you can choose which one of those things you want to uh um recognize and Margot Robbie is so perfect doing this sort of self-aware joke but actually feeling these emotions as she's labeling them and talking it's really incredible uh so that's all i have to say about the rest of it matt uh you are the champion we will end with you my friend i i agree with you mitch i think for my money i would i would want those three actors to be represented i you know i already spoke about robbie um and I, I spoke about the direction of the movie too. I, I talked about that dance sequence. It's it's fantastic. We'll just we'll get to those nominees eventually. It's just uh, again fucking loaded this year. And the the writing I do think is is maybe other than Robbie's performance the m- most special thing about the movie. The jokes are so funny. Um, Ferreira's husband, like some of like the guys in this movie, some oh, of the jokes so on funny. men are so yeah. good. Yeah. The Matchbox Twenty joke, the Godfather joke, the 
the brewskis, like all of it. It yeah. it's so sharp. Mojo Dojo Casa House. Yeah, and so then good. and then you just have these like comic actors and bit parts. Like you, you know, Will Ferrell. We don't like that part of the movie, but people tolerate it because he's very funny. And, I think he's great in it. Yeah, and um, Ferrera and Gosling, obviously in the critical supporting roles, but you have Issa Rae, who's in like every great comedy from this year, pretty much. <laughs> You've got Kate McKinnon as Weird Barbie. You've got like we talked about Simu Liu. Um, uh, Rhea Perlman shows up. Michael Sarah is in this movie, and yeah, it's just it's loaded with so much to look at and so much to laugh at. And I it's it's so funny to hear you guys talk about your experience at home. And I under I understand that because it was a great theater experience. I actually liked the movie more when I watched it a second time. Oh, that's great! Because it was I really liked seeing it outside of of like the hype cycle, and I I just felt like seeing it in theaters was so much fun, but there was so much hype surrounding it and just so much going on and, and being able to just like really, I don't know, like listen to the jokes for a second time and really pay attention to the, the things in the background, production design and costumes in this movie. That's, um, if not screenplay, that's the other place I think it could get some love. And I, I think it'll win song for one of those songs. Totally. Well, uh, we say goodbye to Barbie and we say hello to whichever movie is at number eight. Mitch, what movie is at number eight on Mitch's Movie Mountain? Number eight, American Fiction. Hey, all right. Okay, American Fiction, also with Issa Rae. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is uh, a movie, or excuse me, this is a song called Let Love Flow On from one of the fun scenes in this movie. Uh, This is by Sonia Spence. Uh, Matt, lay it out. Hit me with those facts, baby. American fiction. Uh, This is indeed the the other movie I was referring to. Satirical comedy written and directed by Cord Jefferson um, in his uh, directorial debut as a uh, feature filmmaker. Uh, This film stars Jeffrey Wright as a writer named Monk Ellison. Uh, it also in the supporting cast, great ensemble again for this one, uh, Sterling K. Brown, Tracy Ellis Ross, John Ortiz, Eric Alexander, Leslie Uggams, uh, Issa Rae, and, um, eventually Adam Brody. Um, it is about this writer monk who, um, kind of is like butting heads with his publishers. He's a writer trying to sell his novels, but he's being told as a black man that his writing is not quote unquote black enough. And he gets frustrated with some of the hypocrisy that he sees. And he ends up writing in like a a fit of drunken frustration. He writes a novel sort of poking fun at uh, what what he sees getting rewarded commercially as black literature. Uh, he writes this novel about, I don't even remember the details, but it's like impoverished black characters and violence and baby mama drama and all this stuff. He writes it all as a joke out of frustration, sends it to his publisher as kind of a fuck you. And then of course the movie gets, or excuse me, the the book gets bought, it gets sold, it eventually gets turned into a movie and this whole phenomenon. So it, he is is kind of like pulled into this world of hypocrisy that he hates so much. 
at the same time, the movie is also a family drama, um, which, which for my money might actually be the more interesting part of the movie has to do with his relationship with his siblings has to do with his mother and her health has to do with a, a burgeoning relationship with a neighbor at their family beach house. Um, I, I, I really liked this movie, Barbie and American fiction. I, I agree that, uh, it makes sense to think of them together. Um, but I would probably have, I do have them a little bit higher up on my list. Cause I, again, this is a movie that, that points the spotlight, uh, directly back at us and is like, you know, what do white people like about black art? What do we value? What do we reward? What do we mean when we say it's important to listen to black voices? This, this movie asks a lot of yeah. interesting questions. Um, one of the best uh, jokes in the movie for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, just to quickly close us out, this movie, I don't think is streaming for free, but it is available to rent. And of course in theaters, it's an hour and 57 minutes and it has five nominations, uh, along with picture, uh, Jeffrey Wright is nominated for lead actor, Sterling K Brown nominated for supporting actor, uh, Cord Jefferson for adapted screenplay and the score actually by Laura Cartman, which we didn't hear. We heard uh, a song from the soundtrack, but the score is nominated as well. I should have played the score. I didn't, I guess I didn't remember that it had that nomination. Interesting. This, I don't know that is, I would nominate this score because it's, it's a good nomination. But it's, it is. Anyway. A, and, and again, this is, this is where I want to say, like, I don't, I don't want to dump on it. It's a good score. No, it's a great no, score. Yeah. And, yeah. and I know that's not what you mean to do, but just, we talked about the Spider-Verse score. We talked about yeah. Boy and the Heron. This is just much more of like a background vibe score. It doesn't drive the movie the way that, that some other right. scores do. Right. But Mitch, you are both the champion of this movie and the person who ranked it at number eight. So I want to first speak to Mitch the champion. Mitch the champion, what do you love about American fiction? Something that Matt alluded to was that this movie uh, does two things at once. It is a social satire about, uh, yeah, the the white gaze on black culture. And it also is a uh, quite beautiful family drama. And the family drama part of this movie is excellent. Just the uh, Tracy Ellis Ross as the sort of put upon sister, Sterling K. Brown as the successful but sort of uh, uh, at sea uh, brother, Uh, Jeffrey Wright as the uh, self-pitying intellectual, and how the three of them interact as siblings um, is is quite wonderful and you don't ever actually see sterling k brown and tracy ellis ross interact uh because um tracy ellis ross very shockingly uh, drops dead at the end of the first act of this movie like very quickly in like 10 minutes into the movie or something it's like you like see her come on screen you're like yay we get to hang out with you for a little while and then all of a sudden bang she's like gone Anyway, I just, keep going. I, I rewatched last night and I, I checked the timestamp because of this exact thing. It's it's I think less than 20 minutes into the movie. God damn. The movie uh, gets going very quickly and it's it's such a tragedy. You never see them together. It, it definitely is. Uh Mitch, and, please keep going, my friend. Yeah, she just has so much 
life and uh, the sort of weight of everything that she's been dealing with in this movie. Uh, and it, it, it does come as a total shock. And um, their mother, they're dealing with their mother who has dementia uh, and is uh, falling apart fairly quickly and how all of that is working within the family. So all of that is quite beautiful. And then you also have Jeffrey Wright dealing with not being successful as a writer or not as successful as he thinks he should be. Mm hmm. And deciding to just say fuck it and do something dishonest and pandering as a joke. And then also because he needs money to support his his mother going into a home. Uh, and the social satire stuff with the, the white book agents is yes. so funny it's great. the way that with rgb you know, in the, the background <laughs> yeah and and he, he when he goes i want to change the title of the book to fuck <laughs> and like hold and then we love it we love it it's perfect sorry yeah ahead, yeah the june 19th bit yeah the, and what yeah. people will yeah. be feeling uh, a little bit guilty <laughs> um it's it's so good it's on point and the reason the reason that these are nine and eight for me um, is well, before I get into that, Frank, do you want to say anything about the movie? No, no, no. Go, go into your, your uh, rationale there and I can, I can jump in with thoughts after that. Okay. Uh, so that, so nine and eight, not because the, these are satires pointed directly at us. Like I, I like that. And there should be more movies <laughs> that do that For sure. all the time. Um, the thing about both of these movies is the dialogue is stylized in a way in which there's almost no subtext, which mm. is really fucking interesting. I rewatched this movie last night as well, and I'm so glad I did because I didn't pick up on it the first time. But the things that people are saying to each other are basically... This is how I am feeling it, or th th this is how I am feeling, or this is why you're feeling that way. And it's very direct. Uh, hmm. This character represents this at this moment, or this character is, I am going through this, and you understand why in the context of the, of the movie. And I think that as a tool is absolutely fascinating, but it felt very strange watching it after after realizing that and watching a whole movie that is doing that which i think works better in a short uh format the the way that the family members talk to each other in uh american fiction is a lot of well dad doesn't know all of me or a lot of do you do you want to know what your problem is? Things like that, which are just very very direct moments that you don't normally get. People usually talk around things in a way, uh, and in the same way in Barbie, when rather than talking to each other as people, and of course they're dolls, uh, they are talking in jokes about society, which they're both very very cool, and also 
like it took me out of the movie a little bit. So they they're both doing that and American fiction I think the the ending of it where the movie stops and then they're in a studio talking about how to end the movie uh is a little bit it was all a dreamy to me mm, mm. in a in a way that hammers home like yes these people were talking to each other in sort of therapy speak or in direct confrontation speak throughout the whole movie and is that a commentary also on what white people want at the theater you know are are is this movie getting all of these accolades partly because cord jefferson wrote a brilliant script in which people are talking to each other in a way that uh white people have centered as important but don't actually do to themselves um so it's it's really interesting i think they work really well as companion pieces and um the uh i think the reason that i have american fiction at 8 is that the very end the ending really doesn't stick it for me uh but uh but it's great it's really really wonderful and also just as a side note sterling k brown steals every scene he is in in this movie he is so good so dynamic so funny uh Everything he does is just a home run in this movie. Um, yeah. There's yeah. one line they give him that I don't love, but everything, like 99% of what this guy does in this movie is absolutely brilliant. Can I can totally. I guess which line, Mitch? Is it the- um, Yeah. Is it, and this, this again, will spoil some stuff later in the movie. Is it the like, this family will break your heart line? That yeah, is the line. That, that moment did not ring super true for me either, but I agree with what you said. And he, it's another loaded category supporting actor. He might be my pick because he is so funny. Like his his phone call with Monk, the like taking a lover exchange, so yeah, funny. Yeah, it's so funny. He's hilarious. But then also these these two moments that really stood out to me, dancing with their mother. Yeah, uh, that was beautiful. The, and then- beautiful and then heartbreaking like yeah, such a quick it's, switch it's from like a... oh my god i'm like tearing up to oh my god this is like the worst moment in this guy's day or week or month or year it's you know? so it's so fucking tender and beautiful and then heartbreaking uh she says something really cruel to him and, and he just has to leave and then later when the wedding is happening and they walk in on him with his his two lovers and they're doing coke and everything Lorraine, their friend who's getting married, invites him to stay and gives him this hug and he just melts in her arms. And it's such a, Wright has gotten so much credit. I love him as an actor. He deserves it. I'm thrilled that he's nominated. But uh, Sterling K. Brown really, for me, is what makes the movie emotionally land. Yeah, totally. I I really liked this movie. It's really funny. Leslie Uggams, another performance that I I love. She mother. plays the mother uh, who is you learn uh, suffering from Alzheimer's, but still has moments of clarities. Has good days. Have has bad days. Has has moments where the, she's there. Moments where she's not. And I I thought she towed that line really well, while also like clearly being the complicated matriarch of this family, like not the. The warm and fuzzy mom that everybody loves. She's she's um she's got it like kind of a hard edge to her as well. Um yeah, I think Mitch, your your uh comment on no subtext is really interesting. The, the one thing I uh uh 
not the one thing, but one of my um, takeaways from watching this movie was was sort of like meta textual in the same way that like this movie being nominated for best picture also has a weird meta textual element of in the movie there is an awards panel where they choose the top 10 books yeah they do a ranking of 10 yeah and now that movie is being nominated in a group of it's it's just very interesting parallels but the the comparison for me in this movie, which may be a little bit weird, maybe someone has written about it more eloquently than I can say, but was like Nancy Myers for the family drama side, which I really liked. I, I thought it was really cool to like have this like, you know, they have this beautiful Cape Cod beach house and they're listening to great music and drinking wine and eating good looking food and like sort of this like lifestyle porn that I thought was really interesting. And then I was like, well, it's sort of a interesting, that's also sort of a uh, interesting meta narrative because the point of the movie is like about the flattening of representation for black people and experiences of black life being represented in different ways in art. Um, So yeah, that stuck with me. I think this movie kind of has similar vibes to The Holdovers, a movie that we'll talk about later. Uh, curmud- curmudgeonly man, and you kind of learn mm. about him over the course of the movie. Um, and then my last thought here was just a question that popped into my head this morning: was what does this movie want us to think about Issa Rae's character? I'm not really sure if she's if the movie's saying the type of art she makes and the fact that she is making that type of art is a good thing or a bad thing or just a thing or I don't know it was it's just something I'm thinking about coming out of the movie so um I will pause uh there yeah Mitch go ahead that's a great question and I think that her representation as like an amoral actor basically in this movie is sort of the commentary on it. The lunch that she has with uh, Jeffrey Wright, where there he confronts her about the book finally. Yeah. And yeah. she yeah. basically says, I'm playing the marketplace here. Yeah. Uh, and that is something that Jeffrey Wright kind of comes to by the end of the movie, but also how much, and this, this is a question about art in general how much of just what you want to make is what you need is what you need to make in order to be honest and how much of i am an artist i have things that i want to do i have things that i want to say but can i say them if nobody is reading them if nobody is watching it you know uh can you be blamed for putting out popular art that maybe you don't 100% believe in you know, is that something that's okay? And at the very end of the movie, the one thing that's great about that studio stuff at the end, I think, is when they are they're driving away yes. from the studio, yeah. and there's uh, an actor playing uh, yeah. a slave from you know a period piece, listening to his AirPods, and he and Jeffrey Wright give each other the nod, uh, and it's sort of like that guy's not doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Right, it's not his fault. You know. Yeah, he exists in this right. bigger media landscape and marketplace and et cetera. Yeah. Um, yes. Matt, I know you had a couple thoughts. Go go right ahead, my friend. The the question you raised, Frank, I think is really important. And it's, I think, to the movie's credit that 
it can kind of be read either way. It can especially be read either way because Jeffrey Wright admits in that argument he didn't read her fucking book. Yeah. And yeah, 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 that yeah. he spends the whole movie. He's and, he's a total snob. If you if you haven't seen yeah. the film, Issa Rae's book, the title is We Lives in the Ghetto. And Jeffrey Wright hates this book because he he thinks that it's pandering, it's stereotypical. There's there's lots of little jokes sprinkled throughout the movie of him kind of like turning his nose up at at both in this book and just throughout culture, like these sort of black stereotypes that keep popping up. But when it comes down to it, he admits that he he didn't read it. And that comes out in that argument with Issa Rae. He says, well, I've seen clips, I've read excerpts, but he's admitting basically I'm reading it through the filter of the white media and the publishing company mm. that I'm so against. So there there was definitely like, I don't know, I, I my ears really perked up when I rewatched it and got to that point in the movie because it made me feel a little like, like unreliable narratory, like it, it, mm. it made me kind of reassess. Like, well, what do I think of the the scene at the beginning where Issa Rae reads the excerpt and the and it's it's played for laughs and it's very funny, but like, you know, she she defends her choices, I think, in a, a really interesting way. And Jeffrey Wright's character Monk is not maybe like the the moral superior that he sees himself as. I think uh, what you said too about. Just like what do we, you know? The question the movie asks: What do we expect of a black artist? In this case, a black filmmaker, Cord Jefferson, making his first film. I'm really interested to see what he does next. He's a great writer. He had already been recognized for writing on TV for Watchmen. Uh, he wrote that like Hooded Justice episode. Have you guys watched that show? Which was incredible. Great Watchmen show. is incredible. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so good. So it'll. It, it sounds like we all are responding more to the family side of this movie. It's it's hard to say honestly because you can't really be objective. Like how much of that is because it's better? How much of that is is maybe our discomfort pushing back against that mirror getting turned on us? It's but I I I'm interested to see for his next film. You know, maybe let's let's see a black filmmaker make a movie that doesn't have to be necessarily about black. I I don't know what Cord Jefferson's interested in making. We'll see. But hopefully this movie's success opens him up to tell whatever kind of story he wants to tell. Cause that's kind of what we're hoping for at Monk at the end of this movie. Well, very well the, said, Matt. And I'll give you the, the last thought here, Mitch. Oh, one thing about the satire part of this, and I'm very excited for people who haven't seen this movie yet is in a similar way, watching something through the lens of the distributor, uh, all of the trailers for this movie gave away the best jokes, yeah. which is really frustrating and is something that that trailers used to do all the time and have sort of shied away from. And now it was back with a vengeance in this where the entire trailer was almost all of the jokes about white people loving Jeffrey Wright's book, which is such a bummer because they're so good and they just the distributor, the probably white distributors couldn't help but be like, see, it's about us and why we're idiots. See, that that's what this movie's about. See, uh, you know, joke, 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 joke. And it's and it's so much more than that. And um, I'm excited for people who can see this movie out of the media cycle, watch it on its own merits and not uh, see a bunch of punchlines coming. 
There's totally. great there's great family jokes too. I love the sibling drama so much. There aren't enough movies about siblings. I don't know why there's so many movies about parents and kids. There's Mary's about relationships, but I love a good sibling movie and their banter. There's a there's a um detective dictionary joke that mm-hmm. Issa Rae or excuse mm-hmm. me, that uh, Tracy Ellis Ross says to Monk at the beginning of the movie and then that is kind of repeated like an hour and a half later by Sterling K Brown and it's it's just it warms my heart. Totally. Some, some good, good banter. Well, let's uh, let's turn to our detective dictionary. Um, Mitch Lerner, as we as we gaze up this mountain, we're coming from number eight to number seven. We're getting closer and closer to the summit, but we still have a ways to go. Mitch, what is here at number seven? What am I looking at right now? Number seven, you are looking at a snowy landscape in New England. We are getting to the tree line into the white caps of the holdovers. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, All right. So for this, we have a song by Le B. Sif. This is not original for the movie, but it is beautiful. I did nobody no good, no how. The playlist for this movie is pretty immaculate. Um, Matt, uh, hit us with the deets on this one. I, I bet it is. I bet it is immaculate because uh, the holdovers, uh, which is the comedy comedy slash drama, I guess, uh, that we're going to be talking about next. It's set in the early 70s in New England, as Mitch said, and it it feels the way that song just felt. It feels like kind of like familiar and comfortable and kind of like a time capsule. Um, it's directed by Alexander Payne. It was written by David Hemmingson. Uh, and the movie stars Paul Giamatti. It is uh, centered on his character as well as two others. Giamatti's character is a professor at a New England boarding school, and he is selected to stay behind and watch over the quote-unquote holdovers, the kids who who don't really have uh, anywhere to go home for Christmas, the kids who are staying at school over winter break. Um, what starts as a, a small group of kids eventually comes down to just one kid played by Dominique Sessa. He's um, kind of like an older adolescent age. And the bulk of the movie centers on Sessa's character, Giamatti, and then the cook who is there for the winter, played by Devine Joy Randolph. Um, and it's kind of one of those movies where it's like unlikely relationships form, uh, just kind of a small drama about these three people. This movie is streaming on Peacock. It's two hours and 13 minutes, and it is nominated for five awards this year. Picture, as well as uh, Best Actor for Giamatti, Supporting Actress for Davine Joy Randolph, uh, Screenplay, Hemmingson Screenplay, uh, in the original category specifically, and Editing. Awesome. Uh, Mitch, once again, we turn to you, my friend. You are both the champion and the rankmeister himself. Uh, Mitch, what do you love uh, about The Holdovers? The Holdovers is very funny. Mm -hmm. It's a very funny movie that has a lot of heart to it. And I think that it, uh, it does both of those things 
equally well. Um, also, just the it's such a beautifully uh, shot movie in just the the school. The snow is so nice. They do a lot in post to make it look like a movie from the 70s mm-hmm. uh, that that just feels great. Also, the shots are very long um, in this movie. So it, it really is shot in the tone of a movie from the 1970s, which was just a cool, like refreshing thing to see. Uh, something that I love about this movie is the before they send all of the kids off and it's just Dominic Sessa, Divine Joy and Paul Giamatti. Um, there are these two younger kids uh, at the boarding school yeah. and I love them. Yeah. yeah. They are so great. Um, I wanted more time uh, a with little the boy, group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. I wanted more time with the group too. And then... I think all of the stuff in Boston with Giamatti and Sessa is also great. So in watching this, I'm actually like halfway through a rewatch on it. I couldn't quite uh, finish it before the pod. But um, the fact that I wanted more of the first part of the movie and then the latter part of the movie, I think, is a little bit better is what elevates this movie for me. And um Just the stuff with these two little kids, this little boy from Korea who's too far, and this little Mormon kid. There's this moment in the movie where a bully throws uh, a a mitten Mm -hmm. and steals one of these- um, Into the river. One of the kid's mittens, throws it into the river, and Dominic Sessa says, he wanted to orphan your glove in order to make the pain worse, you know, in order to make it hurt more. And this little kid who can hardly understand that goes to the river and throws his second glove into the river to not give the bully the satisfaction. Uh, Something about that moment is just one of my favorite moments Mm. from movies this year. Um, And then you get into all of the stuff about how good Giamatti is in this movie. Very, very, very funny curmudgeon and uh, just a a beautiful companion piece to Sideways, uh, Payne's first movie that Giamatti uh, was snubbed for an Oscar nomination in. And um, there's something, there's a great little bit at the very end of this movie with a bottle of liquor that, pairs so perfectly to how Giamatti ends sideways drinking this really wonderful bottle of wine in like a fast food Mm. joint. Um, And so the conversation between those I really like, uh, but that's like outside of the movie stuff. Uh, Divine Joy, I think is incredible. And she plays something in this movie that I think is so hard. She plays someone who has gone through a massive trauma in a similar way that we were talking about May, December, uh, Mm. where there's all of this trauma in the past that is just like lurking below. Uh, And it's so much more fresh for divine. uh, And it, it plays that way. And the thing that I love about it too, is that she is overcoming her very real recent trauma in a more impressive way than Paul Giamatti or Dominic Sessa 
are dealing with the stuff from their past and what's going on with them. And like Sessa has real trauma, we find out in towards the end of the movie, but he's a child. Like Giamatti is an old man who has let this like very fairly trivial thing from his past define his entire life whereas divine joy is trying so hard to pick up the pieces of her life and mourn and uh you know she's gone through the hardest thing in the world she's lost a child we could get into like the uh social dynamics and the the uh uh like horrible race and economic reasons why she is the only person at this school who lost a kid in Vietnam. Uh, yeah. But she, yeah, I mean, I've been talking too long. I can keep talking no, about no. this, but you guys, yeah. guys want to jump I would, in. I would jump in just because that, this movie, for me, this is this is my number 10. And it's because I didn't feel like the movie was ever all that interested in exploring what you're talking about, which I, which I think is interesting and and maybe I've only seen it once. Maybe there's more there than I remember. But I I the movie is is old fashioned in so many ways, in a lot of ways that work well for it. But one way that that didn't work well for me is I feel like that whole story about her, which she is has gotten a lot of accolades for. She may win for supporting actress, and she gives a fantastic performance. But I I, I wanted um. It felt like her role as a mother, the movie was interested in, but when it came to race, I, I felt like there was more there. And, and you know, the movie chooses to focus a little more on Giamatti and Sessa's characters, um, Paul Hunnam and, and Angus, the kid, but Randolph's character, Mary, disappears during a critical stretch uh, at the end of the movie. And you really feel it because she's so good and so warm. Um but yeah, great, great acting from all three. Sessa, it's the first movie he's ever been yeah. in. He was a discovery at the school, I think the school where they filmed. And yep. he, I, I'll be honest, I, I, it wasn't my favorite performance. I think, especially in comparison to the other two stars who are just on fire, he, um, you know, there, there were some scenes that he kind of graded on me, but so much is asked of him. And especially knowing it's his first movie, he really like, really emotional performance and goes really hard so the the movie ultimately works because of the three of them but in a in a strong field of movies this year uh for me it, it just ended up being the one that that kind of sunk to the bottom it should also be it's it's probably my uh number 10 as well uh but it should also be said in case this wasn't clear to the listener that this is a christmas movie and i kind yes. of think this is gonna have long legs as a Christmas movie, because it's very right. cozy. Uh, there's Family beautiful, movie. yeah, yeah, beautiful landscape photography. Um, it's a it's a movie that talks about real things, but is also funny. It has a sense of humor. Um, I love Alexander Payne, uh, and uh, we referenced Sideways earlier. Election is another movie I love. Um, yes, take a drink. We we finally said landscape photography. It finally happened. Uh, finally, it took like four we, movies. I know, I know, crazy, right? Um, but. Uh, that's a joke for long-term fans of Mitch's Movie Mountain, those who have the t-shirts out there. Um, 
Yeah, Alexander Payne, I, I, I've always loved. And then I heard about a very disappointing allegation against him by Rose McGowan that really hasn't factored into the narrative around this movie. And I'm not really sure why. And we talked about it internally of just being like, that's it's weird that no one's talking about it. So I just want to acknowledge that it's there because it it colored my experience of watching this movie and just being like, why do some allegations get waved away and some don't? But we can't really change that. Um, if you want to read up on it, you can look it up for yourself. Um, so yeah, that colored my my perception of this movie. But had I not known this, that I probably would have liked this movie a lot more. And if Paul Giamatti wins for this movie, I think it's a well-earned win. He's so great. It's basically a continuation of his character from Sideways, but with very uh, different affectations. The first thing he says, it's like this sweeping in shot into his office, going up his desk. And then there's a bottle of... Um, uh, of Evan Williams, I believe, or Jim Beam. Jim Beam. It's Jim Beam on the desk, and he's grading papers, and he has a a pipe, and he's going Philistines, and it's just like, oh, okay, this is the guy we're gonna hang out with for the next two hours, um, and he's great, he's phenomenal, um, and I think his character has a really beautiful arc across the movie. Um, I, we we love Giamatti. We love that he goes to In and Out after winning a, a Golden Globe. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know, if he wins, that'll be awesome. If Jeffrey Wright wins, that'd be awesome too. Um, but it kind of feels like it's Giamatti's year, and it kind of feels like it's uh, Divine Joy's uh, year as well. And I think she gives a beautiful performance when she gets drunk at the party and just like is just yeah. overcome by emotion, like sliding the party scene off the. Is the scene. Yeah, like she's like sliding off the record player and it's like we we all have had that friend who's gone to the dark place when they've gotten drunk and there's something really shitty going on in their life and it was I don't think I've seen that scene on film before so it was it was a uh, is a beautiful scene um and really well performed by her so uh yeah those are my thoughts Mitch uh we give you the final word my friend My final word is basically what's left unsaid. I think a difference between this movie uh, and this movie, I think also does take a battering ram in a way to uh, these white privileged fucking assholes yeah, yeah. at this um, Prep school uh, boarding kids. school. Yeah, and it does center them. So that does make it less of a valid cultural criticism, I think, uh, than American fiction and then Barbie. But it does, you know, beat their stupid privilege over their heads uh, many times. Like, people get saved by a private helicopter yes. in this movie. Oh, yeah. Such a funny scene. Uh, to Such go skiing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and... There's a lot of stuff in this movie that I think maybe on a rewatch would show up, but that is there that points a light at things that we do poorly as a country and especially did in the 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, and it ha it weaves it in without addressing it directly and i find that really interesting uh because it does it 
in what is going to be a classic Christmas movie. So what I really appreciate is that this movie is going to be on TV. It's going to be on TNT. It's going to be on AMC uh, around Christmas in all of the marathons and whatever. And it's not just a feel good movie. It does have a lot of like actual pain in it. Not a pun on the director's name. Um, and it managing to be a classic Christmas movie and shine a sort of unspoken light on a lot of what's fucked up about society, uh, I find uh, pretty great. Yeah, totally agree. Well, let's move. Uh, hold back the holdovers because we're moving from seven to six. Mitch, I think I see the ghostly visage of a figure. What am I looking at? What is number six? I, I I don't know. I don't know. We're we're still in the snow. I see I see a body. I don't know. I don't know. It was it a suicide? Was it a fall? Was it a was it a murder? I I don't know. We're gonna have to get a scientist in here. We need to look at the anatomy of a fall. Wow. Well, uh, Anatomy of a Fall is number six. Um, there was only one song that I could play uh, as the music cue here uh, for Anatomy of the Fall. Uh, this is PIMP. Definitely one of the funniest music cues in recent memory. Um, Matt, uh, hit us with the facts on the anatomy of the fall. Anatomy of a Fall. Anatomy of a Fall is a French film, the first of two international movies in the best picture category. Uh, it's a legal drama directed by Justine Trier off of a screenplay that, that she wrote along with co-writer Arthur Harari. Uh, it stars Sandra Huller as a writer. Uh, we've had so many writers today. Um, uh, a writer who is accused of murder. She's accused of um, being responsible for the death of her husband, which happens early on in the film, just a few minutes in. Um, the story of the movie sort of centers on the mystery of what happened because um, at the beginning of the film, uh, Huller's character, who is also named Sandra, her husband Samuel is upstairs playing that song to interrupt an interview that Sandra's giving. Uh, and then their son, um, Daniel, I believe is his name. Yeah, Daniel goes out with his dog Snoop for a walk. When he returns to the house, Samuel, the husband, and his father is lying on the ground dead. So for the rest of the movie, we're trying to figure out what happens. Most of it plays out in a courtroom. Um, and it's a just very fascinating movie. Uh, I I saw this very recently. It was my tenth out of the ten best picture movies to see, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think it is streaming for free just yet, but it is available to rent. It's a longer movie. It's two hours and thirty two minutes. But uh, again, I would very much recommend it. Uh, nominated for best picture. This is our first best director nominee to come up. Trier is up for best director. Huller for actress. Uh, Trier and Harari are up for original screenplay, and this movie is also nominated for Best Editing. Matt, you are the champion 
just of life in general, but also the champion of this movie. Um, please give us the case of why you love Anatomy of a Fall. Yeah, like I said, it's it could be recency bias. I saw this just a couple of nights ago, but this is uh, this is my favorite movie we've talked about so far. I thought it was just so well done at every step. Um, the writing was was really really excellent. The movie is bilingual. It takes place in both English and French, and um, that. Is, is sort of like a running theme of the movie, communication and how we communicate with one another in different languages. Sandra is German, Samuel is French, uh, and they speak English within their family, the two of them and their son. When Sandra's put on trial, she has to speak French in the courtroom because it's it's in France, it's a French court, and we, we should talk somewhat about the court too and how it differs from American court, but her much better robe situation the robe situation is much much better over the robes are are outrageous yeah 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 but like just the ability or inability to get something across in a in a particular language is a a central theme uh along with this running mystery her son daniel's played by milo machado grainer and he is stunning in this movie he plays i think a nine-year-old kid and i don't know how old the actor is but he is heartbreaking grieving throughout the movie um reacting in court to hearing his mother um kind of ripped apart by the um you know france's version of of their prosecutor i think it's uh i can't remember exactly the different like terms and everything but their courtroom is so much more and it's hard to know if, if this is like a movie conceit or if France is really like this, but it's way more conversational and free flowing. Um, the defense will, or, or the prosecutor would be like questioning a witness and then would just turn and start asking Sandra questions, which is, is not how things work in America. You have to like come up to the stand and be sworn in and all this stuff. And I don't know, it, it was very argumentative and, and theoretical, lots of speculating and, and stuff that I feel like might not be admissible in America, but the result of that was a much more interesting movie. And it, the dialogue in the movie and the way the camera moves around the courtroom, I, I found to be really, really interesting, along with just this central question of the movie of what happened. Um, the movie asks a lot of the audience in terms of, of just like questioning your assumptions, questioning what's true, and what is false, what is fact, what is fiction, um, to, to fully spoil this movie. And this is a mystery. So if you want to watch this film, I would, I would advise not listening any further. The film does not directly answer the question of what happened to Samuel. We don't know if Sandra is responsible. If she pushed him out of their attic window to the ground, we don't know if he jumped by suicide. We don't know if he fell by accident. And I think what you think happened and what you take away um, just says a lot about us. And it made me think about what we want of our stories. One quote from the movie that really struck me, and then I, I would love to hear from you guys, is um, Sandra and Daniel are both watching TV coverage of the trial. And there's, you know, it's a debate show, TV news. And so one person says, you know, a writer killing her husband is a better story than a teacher jumping to his death. And says it as if that settles the matter of her guilt. And it 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 just 
was very chilling to me and made me think of um, our political conversations in particular, but just kind of any conversation centering around what's the best story? Like what's most interesting? Um, so yeah, I, I would love to hear from you guys. I could go on for a while about this movie because I really, really loved it. Maybe the best performance of the year is the other thing. Hooler, along with some other performances we'll get to eventually on the mountain, she is just devastating in this movie. She's really she has to play a very complicated or 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 devastating or conniving and evil, depending on how you take the movie. That's what makes it totally. so good. Well, and she has to play many different angles of that character where you can read her as both conniving and as maybe innocent and persecuted or, but Mitch, uh, I want to hear from you on what put this at number six for you, my friend. This is at number six for a weird reason. I didn't know whether to put this higher or lower because I really don't respond well to court procedurals, Mm. be it on television or in movies. It's just not something that I usually love. And this movie is written so well and directed perfectly. And it looks, it, it is so well constructed. It is a beautiful pocket watch of a movie. Yeah. Everything is perfectly attuned. Uh, and I'm about to contradict myself because I I did find once it got into the courtroom, the last 15 minutes or so of court stuff to me felt long. Mm. Uh, but again, my priors are courtroom dramas. If I feel like I can figure out what happened, I'm kind of out at that point. And I think there's a moment in the movie, uh, the moment when they play the tape of the the main argument in the movie and the way that that argument went, to me, it made what happened so clear. And it's interesting to hear about now uh, that some people think other things, uh, you know, there are other conclusions to be had in this movie, because to me, after hearing the argument and after hearing how down on his own life the uh, father is um, in this and the, the father slash husband is in the movie, uh, to me, it, it seemed very, very clear that after that argument, he did uh kill himself in the movie, which is what the court, uh, you know, decides happened. And I think that, and Sandra is so good in this movie that you could take other things away from it. But I really think that the, she's playing it straight in the court and, and afterwards in the relief afterwards and there's this beautiful argument of uh at the end where she's like you know okay so i'm innocent but it's almost worse because now i have to just go about my life like this didn't happen but it did and what what do you do with that um but the the child acting is incredible i'll repeat a point that is a long-standing point for me if you can get a performance like that out of a child you deserve a best directing nomination and, you know, uh, and, and a dog. It. She got and an incredible performance out of a Great dog. Great dog, perf- dog performance. Maybe the best the dog last... performance of, of 
all time, maybe. The, yeah, who it knows? Won the, it, it won the Palm Dog at Cannes last year, so. That's great. That's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ran away with it. <laughs> uh, it ran it on a It walk. didn't go to Strays? I'm surprised they didn't give it to Strays. Apparently Sorry. not. Apparently uh, not. Dumb joke. Uh, Mitch, uh, finish <laughs> your thought, my friend. Uh, just the, And the, the acting is incredible. The writing is so perfectly taught in the movie. The, 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 the music cue is the funniest one they could have possibly chosen, like you said. And, and yet, I mean, that's pretty much all I, all I have to say. Yes. Uh, that's pretty much all I have to say about it because it's not one of my favorite movies of the year because it's a procedural and it's just not my bag. But it was good enough that it's like I agree that this is the best procedural that's been made in quite some time. So it is number six rather than number 10. And it's a procedural. So it's number six rather than number two. Yeah, totally makes sense. I think um, I love uh, a lot of what you guys said. Um, So I'll just be super quick here because you guys said it so well. I love that it's left open-ended about what happened at the end, although I agree with Mitch that I think it's likely that he 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 jumped off. Um, I love the way the camera is used in this movie. There's this great scene with Daniel in the courtroom where it sort of whips back and forth from him yes. moving his head from side to side where prosecution and defender. Um, I thought that was great. I thought the use of language in this movie was really interesting and it shares uh, some DNA with another one of our uh, uh, movies uh, in the best picture slate of of having to shift between language and using different languages to be understood in different ways and um, yeah very interesting and then last point I love the use of digital photography in this where it l- was clear that you were like on somebody's cell phone or like on a, like a handy cam of like a paparazzi or whatever like outside the courtroom or you know part of one of the news broadcasters uh, um, camera equipment so um, I thought that was really cool and had some interesting things to say about like the way we as a culture consume these true crime uh, stories, which is another thing I really loved about May, December as well. Um, So anyway, uh, we turn back to you, Matt. Uh, Last thoughts before we move on to our last movie. God, let me see. So Frank, what did you think happened at the end? Did you think it was a suicide? Yeah. And I, so it's it's interesting that all three of us kind of, ended at that same spot because I and I I I agree with what you said Mitch that the fight makes it it very clear and that that fight recording is one of the scenes of the year um so hard to watch such a a just horrible fight to watch it's so raw mm-hmm. it's so mean people who love each other who are being just tearing each other apart um, and having to see that play out while Danny listens to it in the courtroom in particular. Uh, and then the thing the movie swings on is after that, the last 30 minutes, Danny has this um, kind of weird experiment he does with the dog, which was the, the one part of the movie I bumped against a little bit. Uh, but his performance is again, so good that, that emotionally I was, I was along for the ride. And then he gives this kind of extra bit of testimony that ends up being pivotal in clearing his mother's name, where he remembers a conversation about his dad talking to him in the car. I forget exactly when it's placed, but I think it's it's months before the death. Um, and the conversation is used to sort of support that argument. And I think, um, 
I don't know. I've been thinking more and more about the movie since I saw it and what I think happened. And I, I've started to think that maybe, maybe he did just fall. It is called, you know, falls in the name. Mm-hmm. Um, and Frank, you and I specifically talked about kind of what we thought of the father in the movie. Cause we did not, um, we, we don't get a lot of time with him. We only see him in that recording. And then this memory in Daniel's testimony it's unclear if the memory is is really fact or fiction, kind of like everything in this movie. But in those scenes, he comes across very selfish, very depressed, very just a man who's kind of at wit's end and is hollowed out. And he's not he's not likable at all. And thinking it was a suicide, I know we both had trouble with the idea of like, God, why would this why would this man do that with his son downstairs? taking a nap in the house. His son finds him. It's horrible. It haunts this boy the whole movie. It's it's a really brutal thing to think about. So maybe that's why I'm coming around to the to the fall idea, but also the movie has made me think about and I you know, I mentioned earlier that we're we're going to talk about some some heavy things with these movies. This is one of them on the on the topic of suicide in particular. It has made me think about how we how we kind of tell that story and how we think that happens with people and the fact is it it may be somewhere in the middle those sorts of acts can be very impulsive it's you know maybe maybe Samuel wanted to prepare his son for this and has planned it for months and was going through on that plan maybe he was a depressive man who was who was being reckless we we don't know we never see and that is why the movie has stuck with me is it it has made me think about different possibilities and ask myself why I think one thing or another. So I I totally get it's a two and a half hour film, procedural drama, half of it's in French. So it it may not be everyone's bag, but it it has really given me a lot to chew on. And it start to finish while I was watching it. I was very invested in the characters of the movie. Uh, in a way that that has been been rare, even in this great movie year. Yeah, totally agree. Um, well, Mitch, here we are at our last movie, number five. Where are we going next, Mitch? Oh, strap into your time machines. We're going into the past lives whoa past lives okay uh this is if you leave something behind by christopher bear and daniel rossen from the soundtrack for past lives score so pretty really pretty score really pretty movie um definitely one of my favorites of the year uh matt hit us with them facts past lives uh past lives is our second bilingual movie it's also our second directorial debut uh Mm -hmm. it is a romantic drama written and directed by celine song um the movie stars greta lee as a uh, a woman named Nora, 
and it is about her relationship with a kind of like a childhood sweetheart named Sung, who is played by Teo Yu. The movie um, tracks the relationship through three eras of time, when they're 12 years old, when they're 24 years old, and when they're 36 years old. Um, eventually, in the latter half, the, the movie does eventually become more of a triangle. Uh, Nora, spoiler alert, marries a character played by John Magaro, um, who is another writer. And the movie sort of climaxes with Teo Yu's character visiting them in New York City and reconnecting with Nora after many years of time away. Um, great acting in this movie. Uh, it is available, I think, on Paramount Plus if you want to watch it for free. Uh, if you're into romance movies in particular, it is it is a good one. Um, it is an uh, hour and 46 minutes, so a pretty quick watch, which is great. Only two nominations, Best Picture and Original Screenplay for Celine Song, but I think we can expect really exciting movies from her in the future. Totally agree. I really loved this movie. Um, I, I would have it ranked similarly to you, Mitch. Um, it's a really, it's a, it's a love story. Um, it is very, a very moving love story. It's about loss and regret and the lives that could have been reconciling your past self with your current self. Um, I found it very, very moving. And perhaps it's because I'm also in a place right now where I'm straddling multiple worlds and thinking a lot about big changes in life and how sort of the ripple effect of that and the different versions of yourself that exist in the world and how you exist in people's memory. Um, I found it very moving. It's very... Uh, there's a lot of stillness and restraint in this movie. It's a very sensitive movie, but it also has a good sense of humor. Um, the actors are so fun. I just have a note in my notes here that says these actors are so fucking great and they are really, really beautiful performances. I would have, I would have nominated both of them. They're just really, really, um, beautiful. Um, you know, there's this concept in the movie called Inyun, I believe is what it's how it's pronounced. And it's basically this idea of providence or fate, but the idea of providence or fate being shared between people. So it's how many lives you've uh, interacted with this person over the course of many, many different uh, lives. Um, and I think after 8,000 or something like that, you get married to someone. Um, so, but Inyun is also one of my favorite things about this movie is Inyun is also a concept that doesn't, isn't just for romantic relationships. Like I have Inyun with you, Mitch, and I have Inyun with you, um, Matt, and it's just people that you have that sort of deep, almost spiritual connection with, um, where you just feel as though you know that person and you see that person, um, for who they are. Um, it's a, it, it, it really affected me. Um, again, maybe because I'm in a part of my life where I'm living between multiple worlds and the idea of loss and regret, past self, current self, a couple of things I learned in, in researching this movie that I thought were worth sharing with you guys is that, uh, Greta Lee, who plays Nora, um, she never touched, uh, Taeyu, um, Celine Song like basically was like don't touch each other ever, the and they finally, 
the actors never touched. And then finally that scene where they're hugging each other for the first time, that's the first time they ever touched in real life, which I think is really Hmm. interesting because they'd already filmed a lot up to that point. Another really interesting thing that Celine Song does, and I think that this is a real, um, I'm really excited to see what she does next because I think this is an incredibly strong debut. Um, The first time that... um, Taeyu's character meets Nora's uh, husband was the first time that those actors met in real life as well. She kept the two sides of the set basically, you know, in different worlds. So the Korean side was the Korean side and the American side was the American side. And when those two worlds come together in that one scene at the bar, which is where we start the movie and where the movie sort of ends, but there's more after that, um, is... um, is the first time that they met in real life as well. So um, just some really interesting directing choices, some, and, and it leads to this tension throughout the film that where they like through really small, like uh, movements of the eye and, you know, small facial expressions. So much is being told. Um, I'll pause there. Mitch, what brought this movie in at number five for you? Well, I made a I made a joke last week about how these movies were going to be ranked in how they gave me the feels. <laughs> and uh this week that sort of turned out to be true because uh this movie just completely made a total mess of me uh by the end of it. And um it's just a an incredible display of uh, uh, partnership and and I don't even know of regret, but of just knowing that there was another possible path to go down and having to confront whether or not that would have also been good. And knowing that in so many ways it would have, but this is where we are now and it is also good and having those things uh be displayed as uh fully as full truths at the same time is such an accomplishment in a movie and i'm not sure i've seen anything like that before uh plus just there's so much good stuff about what it means for a family to make the choice to uproot and emigrate and the reverberations that can have even on the next generation. Um, There's one scene that I wanted to talk about specifically in this movie. Uh, uh, It's a scene where uh, the couple is in bed. uh, The current couple is in bed. And uh, uh, John, what is his character's name? Uh, Abernathy or something like that. Sure, sure. Yeah. Oh, Megara's well, kid. So the 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 man yeah. that he married or that Nora marries is named Arthur. Yeah. Okay. So what's his last Arthur? name? Am I way off here? It's not Abernathy. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, it's just it, Arthur. It is today. Right. It's Arthur Abernathy today. <laughs> um, Arthur Abernathy and Nora <laughs> are in bed together, and uh, he's really poking her. He's really poking her, yes. saying, are you happy? Is this what you want? And 
I was watching that scene crawling out of my fucking skin at first yep. because it felt very sort of uh, selfish and insecure that he's asking about these things. He's clearly grappling with his own insecurity. And by the end of that scene, I had totally switched how I was feeling about it and realized this is a mature partnership in which he is really making sure that she understands that it is her active choice to make here, that she is in this relationship with him and he loves her and it's her choice to make whether or not that's enough for her and what she wants. And he's really laying it out, saying, this could be good for you to go do this thing if you want. And it's not coming from a place of self-pity. This conversation is coming from a place where they both love each other and both want the best thing for each other. And um, even though it appears as a... Uh, uh, poke that comes from insecurity it is not and watching that dynamic of their relationship play out in that scene uh, plays to just both the strengths of their relationship and also just sort of like a lot of the conversations that should happen in relationships that maybe don't and it was just uh, uh, a stunning scene in a movie. And again, a conversation that I don't think I've ever seen on film before. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. He even asks her, is, is she, er, is he attractive? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, are you attracted to him? She's like, I don't know. It's like, it's this very interesting yeah. trust that they have between the two of them. Um, and she doesn't break that trust. Spoiler alert. She does not kiss, you know, her, her long lost first love. It's, it just ends with him going back and, you know, we'll see you again someday. Matt, go, go right ahead. This, uh, two things about this movie that I, I think really elevate it in the genre of like a romantic genre, uh, romantic drama. Cause the first two thirds of the movie, I, I liked it, but like, you know, there's a lot of the movie that was like Skype conversations and like, it's a lot of Skype. It's a little too yeah. much Skype. And I, so I was like into it, but not loving it. And right around the scene you just described, Mitch, that's where the movie really kind of ascended. Cause what's special about this movie is it explores the triangle much more deeply than I was expecting. I thought, um, yeah. that Arthur, it, it, the relationship between the two guys even is addressed exactly that, that exactly. they have in Yun, which I found, I found that so like, whoa, like transcendental yes. almost. And that's what was, that's what I, I think really does elevate the movie is it looks at that relationship going all ways, uh, Nora being centered, but yes, what do those two guys mean to each other? What do they think of each other? What are their insecurities? And Arthur, his like insecurity. I also was crawling out of my skin, but like recognizing myself as much as I didn't want to admit it in moments as well. So the, the way that the movie balanced those three characters, I thought was really special. The other thing that was super special was the end, the very end after that bar scene, the last scene, which is a 
I don't know, five minute, maybe more like one or tracking shot, I think of, um, of, um, Nora and Haysung walking down the street in Manhattan for him to catch his Uber to the airport. And it's just like a silent walk tracking shot. They walk all the way down. They stop. They slowly like turn to each other. There's so much tension. And like you said, Frank, they, they don't kiss, um, she doesn't, you know, jump in the cab and, and run away with him. In fact, what happens is much more interesting. As he's getting into the cab, he introduces this idea of, of um, you know, they talk about past lives and Inyan throughout the film. He asks her, what if this right now is just a past life for our future selves? You know, we keep looking back toward our past as kids, as 20-somethings. Maybe this is also another past life. And maybe somewhere down the road, maybe in 12 years, maybe we will find each other. Maybe this is all still just prelude. And it's it's a, a beautiful idea. And then the very last thing, she walks back down the street, same tracking shot, just her going in the other direction. You, I listened to an interview with Celine Song, and she described it as seeing Nora go back in time with Sung, walking right to left, and then forward in time, walking left to right, back to her apartment, back to Arthur who she embraces and just breaks down weeping and he hugs her and it's, it's complicated because she loves him and he knows if he didn't already, how much she cares about this man who just left. She is just a wreck in his arms. And that's the last we see of them. The movie ends on a shot of, of Sung in the car going to the airport over the bridge. And it's, it's a, a really lovely ending to the movie. Yeah. A really lovely movie. Um, we're coming up on time here, Mitch. I'll give you the final word on the movie, and then we can sign off. That last scene that you're talking about, Matt, I think you've said that perfectly. I really think that that's, that's a uh, wonderful distillation of it, and it is so powerful. And she says as she's falling apart into his arms, as she basically collapses into his arms, uh, you know, I'm sorry. Hmm. And he just completely waves it away and totally understands where she's at and is out there smoking a cigarette. But he's there so clearly not to spy on her but because he knows she's going to be a mess and he is making the choice to be there for her and she is vulnerable and making the choice to collapse into his arms you know she she is still in this thing and they're going to figure it out together you know or not but their love is as real as uh, you know, her connection to Heysan. Um, and the the going back in time and forward in time is such a beautiful way. I'm so glad you said that because I didn't know that, but it inherently makes sense and you right. sort of read you it in it. the film without thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and there's that beautiful split shot uh from when they were kids of oh. going on separate paths. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just a uh, quite quite beautiful. Yeah. Very powerful movie. And this was a very powerful list. Starting from number 10, we have Maestro, then Barbie, American Fiction, The Holdovers, Anatomy of a Fall, and Past Lives. We are more than halfway through our Best Picture nominees, and we will be back next week to talk about the remaining four films on the list. I can't believe it. 
Uh, we're almost there to the top of the movie mountain. Boys, anything to plug before we have to go? Mitch, I know you need to, um, you have a date with Kristen Cinema and some crystals, right? I do. Yeah. At a vortex. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything to plug, boys? My only plug, other than go out to the movies, go see these movies. The Oscars are still a couple weeks away. Uh, the other thing I'll plug is is the old Hoops Crew pod. I didn't mm. shout us out last week, but mm-hmm. our our sister podcast, The Hoops Crew, that Frank and I uh, co-host along with our friends Greg Toomey, Mary Catherine Curran, and Chloe Michaela. Uh, mm-hmm. Check us out if you're if you're a sports fan, hoops in particular. We have a lot of fun over there. The best sports podcast that no one's ever heard of. Um, we're At holding hoops it down. Pod Mitch has been on a, social. Yeah, Mitch has been on many times. I've been a guest, but I'm yeah. more frequently a listener, and it is quite good. And um, also, Frank, what is the social for this podcast again? How do people find us? It is at Frank and Sense. Media. Let me double check that real quick <laughs> on Instagram. That's Sorry, correct. it's very that new. Is correct. It is. It is Frank something that you media. created, and yes. it is correct. <laughs> Frank and Sense Media. One word. Uh, that is the Instagram handle that again you created. Yes. Yes. I. Um. I'm. It's coming back to me now. And go to www.frankincense.io if you want to join our newsletter, uh, oh, which we also nice. launched uh, last week. Um. Okay. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you so much, Mitch and Matt. You guys are incredible. I'm so excited for next week. I'm so excited to keep talking movies uh, with you guys. And until then, um, have a great day. Okay. Love you. Bye. Bye.